a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, let's get this going. Welcome to the show. Welcome to our our latest edition of Reveling in Wrong Think. I do appreciate you being part of my audience today. It is the 25th of November. Yeah, it's the day before Thanksgiving. And, you know, I've uh, I've turns out I got a pretty good rant built up here. However, I, I'm going to put it off for a few minutes, and I'm actually going to start on, on the most positive note that I possibly can. Last night, I had the chance to go and attend a, a movie uh, performance of The Forgotten Carols. This isn't going to mean a lot to people who are outside of, say, Utah, maybe Idaho, Wyoming. It's, it's kind of a, a regional sort of show, but in a nutshell, The Forgotten Carols is, is the Christmas story with focus on some of the lesser-known characters from the original, the biblical Christmas story. So you get to meet people like uh, the innkeeper who turned Joseph and Mary away. You uh, get to meet the shepherd who slept while his friends had angels appear to them and announced the, the holy birth and you know went to the manger in Bethlehem and, and saw the Christ child. You get to hear from people like uh, you know uh, George Frederick Handel, who didn't have a very good singing voice, but it turns out was quite a musician nonetheless and, and was able to contribute to, to, you know, the Christmas story through the ages and, and a host of other characters. Why am I sharing this with you? Okay, because there's something else that I want to share with you. And this is some of you are familiar with this. Some may be hearing this for the first time, but um, th- I, I never realized the impact that this show, The Forgotten Carols, had on my life 25 years ago, that's when my wife and I saw it for the first time. And to understand why it had such a profound impact on me, you have to understand that 25 years ago, I hated Christmas. I really hated Christmas. And, and lest you think that I was just you know, being antisocial, um, th- that goes back even a little bit further because, um, what was it, 31 years ago, my dad told me the day after Thanksgiving that he was terminal and that uh, there was nothing more that could be done with his cancer. And so Christmas of 1989 was, that was a hard time. That was, uh, my sister and I still kind of jokingly refer to it as the year the Christmas tree wouldn't stand. But that, uh, that's where, uh, those were the final weeks of my dad's struggle with cancer. And, and that's what stood out about the holidays. While everybody else was celebrating um, all of the, you know, glitter and the, the lights and the songs and all the trappings that make the holidays what they are. We're just kind of like uh, mocking reminders that uh, this is going to be a holiday different from any one you've had before. And uh, I, I really struggled with that. And I didn't realize how hard until a few, year, few years later, well, actually, like the next year when Christmas rolled around, when the Christmas decorations came out and I started hearing the Christmas music, my reaction was like, here we go. We all get to pretend to be happy. I mean, I, look, I was, I was absolutely um, a, a Grinch about Christmas. And, and it just, I guess I was still trying to, to deal with uh, the loss of my dad. And just uh, there was a lot of emotional baggage that went along for the ride. So suffice it to say, for about the next five years, 
I had a pretty negative attitude toward Christmas. I mean, I, I felt like there was nothing I could do about it. I tried not to be the Debbie Downer, but uh, still, it was, you know, a Christmas party. I'm whoopee. Yay. And then I got the opportunity. My wife got some tickets and we went to attend a performance. This was a live performance of the Forgotten Carols. This was in Twin Falls, Idaho. And I sat down to watch that performance. I was still very much a Grinch when I sat down. But as I watched that story unfold, and, and it's mostly told through songs. So there are, there are specific songs that, uh, that come up. Something happened. My heart underwent a transformation because in, in a very non-preachy kind of way, the whole story just miraculously recalibrates your your focus on Christmas away from all the commercialism, away from, you know, uh, gifts or how you express your love kind of stuff to uh, why do we celebrate? What's what's the real purpose? And to to say that it touched me uh, would be a huge understatement. It uh, it. I don't know, unless you've actually underwent an experience where you've had the kind of change of heart where it's like, man, I'm a different person. I was never the same person after that day. And in fact, the next day, I actually had a chance to interview the show's creator, Michael McLean, and uh, and I commented to him. I said, you know, I've hated Christmas for years, but uh, you've restored something. You get you gave me back Christmas. And he told me, I've heard this a lot from people, especially people who've lost someone during the holidays. And he was just very gracious about it. Uh, it's uh, anyway. So long story short, it was it was months, maybe even years before I could listen to the music from that show without uh, getting choked up. It, I mean, it really had a profound impact on me. And, you know, but that was 25 years ago. So I've had some time to kind of get used to it. I still love the, the story. I still love the songs. But uh, I sat down to watch the movie with my family last night. This was in a theater. All right, so we're all masked and socially distanced, you know, according to the uh, health protocols. And I could not believe it. Every single song, even even the songs that really didn't, uh, you know, hit me that hard the first time. I sat there, I was wiping away tears the, the whole stinking time. It was just crazy. So on the one hand, I'm really happy to see that, okay, it's a story that still touches my heart even after 25 years. On the other hand, um, I think I would have given any group of menopausal women watching The Notebook a run for their money in terms of how close my, my feelings were to the surface. To my kids' credit, at least this time they didn't sit there and kind of stare at me like, look, Dad's, Dad's getting teary again. But, but uh, Wow. So what's what's the point of sharing all this? Do I want you to know what a big wuss I am? Not really. <laughs> I'd rather you think that, oh, yes, he's a stout-hearted man who never sheds a tear unless he's standing at the Grand Canyon, just like Ron Swanson would, would suggest. But uh, no, I share this with you only because I know for most of us this has been a super challenging year. And uh, it's peace has been very... Uh, rare and fleeting, I think, for most of us. I think probably if there was a predominant emotion this year, it's been, uh, you know, being unsettled, upset, anxious, maybe fearful. I just want to recommend that uh, if if you're looking for a way to uh, recalibrate your antenna, to kind of get things back into proper perspective, 
Well, for one thing, you know, if you, if you get the chance, maybe go see this show. It, it, it really did wonders for me. But I think in, in a more generic sense, um, focus on the, the real reason of the season that we're about to, uh, to really launch into full bore. I'm not suggesting that if you haven't been going to church, now's the time to start. I'm just saying that um, if you can tap into that divine love that's always been there, but sometimes we tend to forget, that's the only real source of peace that I know of. Okay? The world's armies and navies combined, no. They're not as powerful as, as that uh, divine love. And, and I'm not talking about uh, something that's in a very broad sense. Oh, yes, God loves his children. Yeah, he waves his hand at you. Hi. You know, you, it's, it's for all of you. I'm talking about something that, uh, that each one of us can have at a very personal level. I'm just going to leave it at that. But I'm also going to suggest that um, because of the season that we're coming into and because of the difficulties of this year, and people who have suffered loss, whether they've lost loved ones or whether they have uh, lost employment or, or maybe they just lost hope. A really good way to to help bring about that uh, that recalibration of heart, if you will, is to simply be aware of them <clears throat> and to. To reach out to them. To give them that uh, the encouragement that they need. This doesn't mean that uh, you start looking around for who's a charity case, you know, in in my circle of friends or my circle of influence. It's just being aware. You know, there are people struggling. You know, there are people who are going through very hard times right now. And it doesn't have to be some big grandiose gesture that, that makes the difference. It can be something as simple as just the reassurance that, hey, I was thinking about you today. I'm sending encouragement your way. I just want you to know, you know, that uh, I'm pulling for you. Okay, maybe I'm up in the night. Maybe this is too simple and I'm, you know, just just sentimental. Where's where's my tissues here? You know, I'm, I'm feeling weepy again. But I really believe that uh, if, if you need that little nudge in the right direction to get your heart back on solid ground, so to speak, that's the place you do it. All right. Now, I do have some pretty epic ranting queued up and ready to go. We're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Rebellion of 2020, just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, lines are open. If you're feeling thankful, got something you'd like to share, you can do so. 801-331-8113. That's my number. And I'd appreciate it if you'd wear it out. So I'm watching with great interest. I, I mean, I joke around. You know, my, my neighbor is is having uh, Thanksgiving today, and <laughs> I just, you know, I, I'm out pulling the trash can back in from the curb, and I and I asked him, so uh, you, you guys got a big super spreader event planned? Ha, ha, ha. He laughs. You know, we're, we're, I think we're pretty much on the same page here. There's so much fear and so much, oh, now, everybody, you stay within your own families and you don't travel anywhere and you don't, you know, do anything that would spread coronavirus. 
Now, my understanding is that there are heavily booked flights. This is this is, I think, the busiest travel time of the year. A lot of people driving to and fro, a lot of families getting together. I like what Jeffrey Tucker calls it, the Thanksgiving Rebellion of 2020. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's probably a fitting description. And it's not just the citizens, okay? It's not just problem children like me who are like, you know what? I'm not uh, taking my cues from the governor or any of his health experts as to what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do, you know, for Thanksgiving. It's more a matter of, look, there are limits to what government should rightfully be doing, and and it's overstepping the limits. I mean, for crying out loud, in uh, uh, New Mexico, the governor just issued an edict shutting down grocery stores. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think on the, on the list of things that are essential, food is probably up there at the top of the list. And she's doing it based on lies that, well, you know, there are so many people standing in lines to get into grocery stores. That's not true. But this idea that if we just have enough policies and if, if we have enough edicts, the virus has to listen to us. And here in Utah, the spin is uh, uh, health officials are saying, well, it looks like it's working. All the mask mandates and all the uh, social distancing guidelines and the, the, you know, recommendations to not be with anybody outside of your household. It seems to be working. Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure it is. Because that virus is listening to everything you say and it's obeying rather than simply running its course. For crying out loud. Well, we've got to take credit. Otherwise, people might not believe in us. Here's what Jeffrey Tucker has to say, and I think he's right, and I think that this is actually a good title for it, the Thanksgiving Rebellion of 2020. He says, the Centers for Disease Control warned us not to travel or meet in multi-generational gatherings during Thanksgiving, which is to say the government tried to make Thanksgiving, probably the most iconic of all American holidays, practically disappear from the calendar this year. Now, they didn't put it that way exactly. Thanksgiving is not canceled, but merely postponed a strange thing to say about a holiday that has a fixed day of the year and surely the one that most means family to people what they said was you need to go through a seven-point checklist that most everyone would fail you have to check local cases never mind that cases aren't deaths and cases might not even be cases check hospital capacity as if you will be stricken down like in the movie contagion and thereby be turned away at the door observe local quarantine rules that bespot the whole country Do not travel with someone not in your household. Make sure no old people will be at the gathering. Make sure never to get closer than six feet to another human being. And okay, this is all ridiculous. He says it's fear porn distributed by science. And he says it's true. Our airports are getting scarier by the day with all the convoluted quarantine quarantine rules. Imagine showing up back home and knowing that you were barred from even so much as visiting a convenience store. Plus, people really don't know the rules because they change by the day and hour. The governor of Washington state proclaimed gatherings have grave consequences right now. Now, he was obsequious and deferential toward mass protests in June. So BLM equals good. Thanksgiving equals bad. The governor of Vermont has pledged to interview any student coming back to school about whether they had gatherings outside their home. If so, they get thrown out for two weeks. Probably the track and trace machinery will go into place. Tell you what, if I had a kid going to school in Vermont, we'd be having some really 
intense conversations and rehearsal about what you say when someone starts trying to pin you down on what exactly happened at your home over the Thanksgiving holiday. And they might be given permission to use some bad words. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. In Texas, Jeffrey Tucker says the health department ran ads all over radio claiming that something as innocent as a small birthday party will spread coronavirus based on a now famous case in which no one was either hospitalized or died, but all got immunities. The ads even deployed the voices of young children. We feel guilty for gathering, bemoaning that they got the dreaded disease, which in fact has an infinitesimally small to non-existent risk to children. And so on it goes. The entire country pounded with anti-Thanksgiving propaganda via every public messaging source. On an 80s-style radio station in Texas, one that Jeffrey Tucker heard while driving, the music all proclaimed the glories of parties dancing, defying authority, standing up against evil, taking big risks and living large. But he said the ad breaks hectored people to stay home, stay safe, and not have any fun. The contrast was striking, to say the least. He says this bureaucratic hydra of federal, state, and local governments tried to delete Thanksgiving. And this is at a time of unprecedented sadness and depression when people are most in need of family and companionship. This is absolutely cruel. And he asks, what the heck has become of us? Well, Americans being Americans, they rebelled. According to the American Automobile Association, writes Jason Riley, there could be as many as 50 million Thanksgiving travelers this year. That's only about 10% less than last year. Jeff Tucker says he saw the same at the two airports he visited. They were about 75% as busy as the old days, but still bustling. Rental cars were in high demand. Bottom line is Americans will not be locked down on Thanksgiving. Riley further writes, this is a form of mass civil disobedience like nothing the country has seen since the 1960s. Some of it is born of COVID fatigue, to be sure. But the endless parade of politicians flouting their own rules surely has also played a role. It began shortly after the spring lockdowns, and if anything, has become more commonplace, even farcical. Riley points out that the politicians themselves don't follow their own ridiculous rules. Like the Soviet apparatchiks of old, they believe that the theater of the dictatorial compliance is for the worker and peasants, but not for themselves. The vanguard of the proletariat has a special exemption from the rules they make for others. They live well. Everyone else, line up at the food bank. Now, Jeff Tucker says there's a reason why so many Americans are not buying it anymore. It's become rather obvious that this is less about health and science than it is about social, economic, political control, regardless of the costs. This becomes obvious once you see through the incredibly foggy blizzard of data, studies, official pronouncements, and furrow-browed scientists Skyping into news network shows. The real underlying story here is that lots of people in powerful positions believe they should be in charge of your life and know better how to make choices over health and safety than you do. And once you start seeing it this way, you stop being intimidated by their alleged authority and experience and start living your life again. After all, it is not the case that governments have special access to health wisdom, wisdom rather, that's denied to you and yours. By now, you've read the risks. You've seen the problems with the posture of certainty of the supposed experts. 
and observe the way they utterly fail to consider the downsides of shutting businesses, schools, sports, and the arts. Now, we're going to come back to this in a moment, but uh, what do you think? I mean, I, I see the scolding. I see the, the dismay, you know, from, from some of the Karens out there who are just so intent. Why don't people obey? Can't they see how stupid and foolish they're being? And if it was just a matter of, oh, yeah, we're just having a big temper tantrum because we didn't get our way, that would be one thing. But it's something very different when government is acting beyond its legitimate role. And I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that the civil disobedience is growing. It's not the same thing as being irresponsible. You've got to assert your rights. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. We are talking about the Great Thanksgiving Rebellion of 2020. It's an article by Jeffrey A. Tucker. I've got a couple of other ones I'm going to share that are in that same vein. One from uh, Donald J. Boudreaux and another from John Miltimore. People are reaching the point where they're just not going to have it. Although, wasn't it interesting if you were listening to news at the bottom of the hour? You probably caught the, the, well, it sounds like people are following the advice of the CDC and staying home. Yeah, in your dreams. Some people are, and that's their prerogative. But there's a lot of us who are just going, look, you experts, I'm putting that in air quotes, you experts, you may have some medical knowledge, but you do not have the omniscience sufficient to be making decisions for everybody based on what you know. Some decisions need to be left to us. Jeffrey Tucker in his article actually has a quote from uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. And it's this is from an editorial in one of the one of uh, three of the world's most prestigious medical journals, The Lancet in the U.K., And this article pits Dr. Martin Koldorf of the Great Barrington Declaration against Massachusetts General Hospital's Rochelle Walensky. Martin points to the carnage of lockdowns and a more humane solution to the presence of disease. Walensky's entire argument against basic exercise of public health of the past is as follows. She says, quote, the Great Barrington Declaration is predicated on the idea that you know who is going to get sick and you can somehow isolate and protect them. But there is absolutely no evidence that we can do this, she said. She pointed out that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that up to 40 percent of Americans have some kind of comorbidity that makes them vulnerable to the ravages of COVID-19. Identifying all these people is not straightforward. No one is suggesting that lockdown should be the default position. They are a last resort. But if we just let the virus run free without mitigation strategies such as masking, our hospitals will overflow, and that would mean we will no longer be able to take care of the population's health across the board. Now, Jeff Tucker says, notice her insistence that we cannot achieve intelligent risk assessment of the population. He says, by we, she means experts such as herself. And she's right. They cannot. And that's the whole point. That needs to be left to individuals. Central planning doesn't work for all the reasons that F.A. Hayek explained. The necessary knowledge to make intelligent decisions is decentralized. 
and not available in useful forms for elite overseers or anyone else. As for lockdowns as a last resort, he says, please, they were used as a first resort in the presence of a virus that turned out to be far less severe than the models predicted. It's barely a disease at all for large swaths of the population. The fatality demographics are overwhelmingly concentrated on a low life expectancy population in a world where people are living longer than ever. The average age of death from COVID exceeds average lifespans. Then we finally get to the invocation of the overflow problem. Hospitals cannot scale, she alleges. Why? Yeah, why? Restaurants, bars, stores, office buildings, and supply and demand for a billion other things scales just fine. It's a matter of increasing supply to match increased demand, a core economic problem and answer. Why does this not apply to medical services, too? Jeff Tucker asks, do you see what's going on here? We have a medical doctor who's pronouncing on economics, and she doesn't even know it. She sums up the problem we've had this entire year. Many health officials have have stepped outside their role to become central planners of the entire society and economy. They never explained why people should grant them this power. They just took it for themselves by intimidating fearful and ignorant politicians to do their bidding. He says, with all due respect for the good doctor, I would translate her statement to the Lancet as follows. You people out there are too stupid, fat, and unhealthy to be in charge of your lives. That's where I come in. And he points out the carnage is everywhere. He said, I hoped when I came to Texas to find a society that had long ago gone back to normal. What I find instead is heartbreaking. In this town, half the local businesses seem to be boarded up. One movie theater for the whole county is bankrupt and closed. Most of the independently owned shops are dead. The shopping mall is barely surviving, and the masked employees are demoralized in seeing their doom. So who survives? Well, the big box chain stores in town. Walmart seems fine, so does Home Depot. These companies are well capitalized enough to survive. And he says, I'm glad for them, but there is something unjust about all of this. The lockdowns benefited elites at the expense of everyone else. This small and wonderful town is now sad and broken, thanks to people like Dr. Walensky, who undoubtedly had the best of intentions. But he says, she lives in Boston. Right now, I'm in rural Texas. And he says, the people who surround me have had their lives shattered by her and her fellow intellectuals who bear no real consequence for being wrong. So, yes, she is correct that she does not have the capacity to know who is vulnerable and who is not. No one knows that with certainty. The solution is not to lock down the whole of society until the virus magically goes away. That's not public health. That is an unprecedented imposition of top-down brutalism. And he says the battle over lockdowns and public health is the struggle of our lives, the greatest crisis in generations. But the problems and solutions are not different from the ones that have consumed intellectuals for centuries. What institutions better manage society in good times and in bad? Governments run by experts with power and resources or free people acting with intelligence and creativity as best they can. Jeff Tucker says one might have supposed we had the answer to this question already, but human beings forget. And then the tragic lessons have to be learned all over again. Now, I follow this up with an article from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. And I just I share this with you. I'm not going to give you the whole article, but um, I, I share this with you. It's not just citizens who are getting fed up. There are actually 
government leaders who are now refusing to enforce lockdowns as civil disobedience spreads across America. Uh, For instance, Colorado officials last week announced that several counties had moved into the red level, the second highest measurement on its COVID-19 dial, and would be forced to implement new regulations on restaurants, gyms, and other parts of the economy to combat the virus. Then something remarkable happened. Weld County, a county in the northern part of the state with a population of roughly a quarter million people, politely said no. The Board of Commissioners said in a statement, instead, county government continues to do what it has done since March, which is promote and encourage residents and business owners to take individual responsibility and make decisions to protect themselves, their families, their community and their businesses. Now, with a test positivity rate north of 16 percent, Weld County's infection rate is well above the 5 percent threshold the World Health Organization uses as a benchmark for taking proactive measures to limit the spread of the virus. Nevertheless, county officials enumerated what they would not do. The county will not enforce a rule confining individuals to their homes for an undetermined length of time. The county will not enforce a rule that states residents cannot have personal gatherings. The county will not enforce a rule requiring a reduction of attendees in places of worship. The county will not enforce a rule demanding restaurants close their indoor dining areas. The county will not enforce any rule that forces a business to shut down or impedes their ability to operate. Now, John Miltimore says Weld County's defiance came just days before the news broke that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is furious because a Brooklyn synagogue reportedly held a secret wedding earlier this month with thousands of unmasked guests in attendance. Cuomo said in a briefing, if that happened, it was a blatant disregard of the law. It was illegal. It was also disrespectful to the people of New York. Reports say the synagogue, the Yetev Lev Temple in Williamsburg, has been fined $15,000. In Buffalo, New York, a protest of some 50 business owners and supporters at a local gym turned into a tense confrontation when a health inspector and deputies arrived, apparently after receiving an anonymous complaint, thank you, Karen, and refused to leave. According to the Buffalo News, neither the health inspector nor the deputies would specify what rules the gym owner or those in attendance had broken. Authorities eventually left without issuing citations as protesters chanted, get out, get out. The gym's owner, Robbie De Niro, said the gathering was an old-fashioned civil disobedience against lockdowns. De Niro said it was absolutely a protest, adding that enforcement of the restrictions has been arbitrary. Now, John Miltimore says the defiance against lockdowns has been a long time coming. The reality is enforcement of social distancing regulations has been arbitrary. We've watched over and over again as politicians have flaunted their own orders without penalty. We've seen social distancing exceptions made when a political cause was deemed important or simply worth celebrating. And this is both unjust and dangerous. The growth in government power, the decline in individual liberty witnessed these many months is unprecedented in modern history, as many have observed. Fortunately, Americans and many others around the world, from clergy in England meeting in secret to thousands in Berlin protesting COVID restrictions as they're shot with water cannons, have simply had enough. All right. I feel better just for sharing this with you. (laughs) When we come back, I'm going to open up the phones. 801-331-8113. I'd love to hear your take as well. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, final segment this hour. If you're going to make the call, you better make it count. 801-331-8113. Do I have to use my southern accent? Right now. 801-331-8113. So I've been sharing this article from John Miltimore about uh, civil disobedience spreading across America. People have had enough of the lockdowns. And we're starting to see it from not just private citizens, but from business owners as well. He says it's a good thing, but it's also stressful. Just watching the confrontations like the one in Buffalo can make a cool-headed person feel tense. It makes the world feel chaotic. It gives the impression that the order in our world is slipping away. So these lockdowns fit the model of a destructive order, one that's thrown the whole world into a kind of chaos. And he says we can all feel it. This is precisely why the lockdowns have to be resisted. Like the commissioners in Weld County in Colorado, the Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn, the business owners in Buffalo. Maybe this means sneaking across the Mississippi River to watch a Packer game in a bar in Wisconsin against state orders with your son in a tavern where no one's wearing masks. Maybe it means eating a Thanksgiving dinner with family and friends despite a state order saying you must not or simply choosing not to wear a mask in between bites of turkey as public health officials recommend. You decide what works for you. But just know I'm sending my love and encouragement to those who choose to be civilly disobedient to these mandates. To the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Hello. This is Dean. Anyway, uh, you know, on civil disobedience, Walt Whitman and and David Thoreau, you know, I, I can't remember which one it was, was one of them was in jail and the other one says, uh, went over to visit him. He says, what are you in jail for? And he, he looks back at him and he says, why are you out of jail? Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Henry David Thoreau, the author of Civil Disobedience. Yeah. And so that's my point. That's where I'm headed. That's where I've been headed for over 20 years. I'm tired of these. I'm tired of these people being little dictators. I'm try, tired of of people not paying consequences when they break the law. I'm tired of selective law enforcement. And, you know, right here in Utah County, that's where I'm from, been here, family's been here since the 1800s, some of the first ones in the valley. But uh, like our hero sheriff, the Republican, I'm sick of Republicans, I'm sick of the Democrats, (laughs) but I'm, I'm sick of the world. Well, yeah, about these uh, uh, parties they had or something out there to the Knolls. Uh, they figure there's 10,000 people out there than the ones out uh, out of the warehouse in Lehigh. Uh, well, uh, David Levitt, which was the hero that's going to stop uh, frivolous lawsuits and that and, and, cha- and change uh, prisoner reform because the buck stopped at his, uh, his office. So... They arrested a couple of people, I guess, or, or charged them for uh, heading out that, uh, being in charge of that uh, party out there to Lehigh. And then they're looking into those people out, out to the Knolls to make some arrests. Why don't they arrest everybody? Why don't they arrest all 10,000 people? 
Yeah, they, they, they know they just need to make a few examples to try to get their message across. Well, that's what I'm getting at. But yeah. why does it, why, why, don't, why don't the people do something like that and make them arrest all of them? No, that's a good point. You and, know, and you know the they, answer is because they can't. They can't. Now, if everybody does that and just say, we're not listening to you no more. We're not listening to all your stories, all your drama every day, all your fear and hate and separate. Well, what they want to do is some animals are more equal than the others. You know, they, they say, well, only invite the important people over to your your Thanksgiving. So what do you do about the unimportant people or somebody that might might need something? So, you know, this, all this is doing is, is creating selfishness. Agreed. Uh, and, Dean, know, I, I, I appreciate uh, your call. I'm going to stop you here because I've got other people trying to get through, but thank you for weighing in. 801-331-8113. John Miltimore suggests, look, if, if you, too, are fed up, if you're in the position where you're like, hey, enough, maybe he says uh, it's time for you to organize peacefully with local businesses and hold an actual protest. He says it. It doesn't matter. Actually, he says it all matters. The point is lockdowns are incredibly harmful, soul crushing, the most expansive encroachment on personal freedom in modern history. And by the way, I I was happy to hear Dean mention that, you know, mention Henry David Thoreau because uh, John Miltimore refers to him as well. He says it's past time Americans and humans everywhere embrace the radical philosophy of Henry David Thoreau, who taught us that the only true form or the only true foundation rather of liberty is civil disobedience. A peaceful, passive form of political protest that rests on the simple refusal to follow unjust laws or pay unjust taxes. Here's how Thoreau put it. If the injustice is part of the necessary friction of the machine in government, let it go, let it go. Perchance it will wear smooth. Certainly the machine will wear out. Interesting. Back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Going once. Going twice. Okay, moving on. Now, so why do people, why do people get uh, get so bent out of shape? I think Don Boudreaux, in uh, an article called Tyranny Unmasked, sums it up beautifully. This is a short little comment, but here's what he says. He says, we, my fellow Americans, are living, are today living under tyranny. And he says there's no other way to describe it. That this tyranny is masked in lovely motives is irrelevant. It is tyranny. And remember that all tyranny masquerades as beneficence. Were it to do otherwise, it would never be tolerated. He says, we, my fellow Americans, are prisoners of a healthocracy. I call it that not because the healthocratic tyrants put our health above all, which would be bad enough, even if there were, contrary to fact, good reason to suppose that this tyranny is making us healthier. He says, I call our current political system a healthocracy because protecting our health is merely an excuse, a pretense for the unreasoned exercise of raw, fanged poison power. Consider as just one example this report from uh, D.C. based WTOP News Radio. Here's a part. 
Just ahead of Thanksgiving, the health officer in Montgomery County, Maryland, is putting in place new coronavirus safety restrictions, including a reduced cap on the size of gatherings. Dr. Travis Gale said in a statement that indoor gatherings of more than 10 people are prohibited, effective 5 p.m. Tuesday. Masks are required outdoors at all times and inside all public facilities. Now, Don Boudreaux says the government is restricting the number of people who can gather together consensually, even in private homes. Do your nieces and nephews, when added to your brothers and sisters and immediate family members, reach a sum greater than 10? Too bad. You may not socialize together under the same roof. So saith the state. Or how about this report from the same news radio station? Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announced Monday that compliance units led by Maryland State Police would be sent out to businesses before and during the Thanksgiving holiday to make sure business owners are following coronavirus restrictions. Additional troopers will be focused on this enforcement, said Maryland State Police spokesman Greg Shipley. Our first goal is voluntary compliance. Get it? The state of Maryland is sending out its police offers to ensure, quote, voluntary compliance. When a uniformed cop packing a sidearm shows up at your door to ask how many people are under your commercial roof, how voluntary do you feel that request to be? He asks, why are we putting up with this despotic oppression? Forget that COVID-19 is a risk overwhelmingly only to very old and infirm people. Why, under any circumstances, do we sheepishly obey these self-important, ignorant, power-mad maniacs who are so greedy for power and publicity that they do all that must be done these days to win high political office? He says, I literally wouldn't trust any of these people to shine my shoes. Not Virginia Governor Northam, not D.C. Mayor Bowser, not New York Governor Cuomo, not California Governor Newsom, not Herr Anthony, Dr. Anthony Fauci. The list of these tyrannical scoundrels is as long as it is nauseating. He says, I call for resistance, serious resistance, meaningful resistance. Tell these governors, mayors, officials, the cops all to go to hell and remain there till they're reduced to ashes. Yeah, he's not mincing words here. He says, for the few of us who want to live free, civilized lives. Let us decide on our own if what, if any precaution to take against the coronavirus. Let us live lives unobstructed by the awful officiousness of healthocrats. He says, I think I can speak for all of us when I say, leave us alone. For heaven's sakes, leave us alone. Please, mind your own business. Cower in fear and live, if you wish, in your antiseptic and lonely closets. You'll perhaps arrange for your hearts to keep beating for an extra year or two. But he says, the lives that you lead will be pathetic, imbecilic, and unworthy of anyone worthy of life. Dang. Preach it, brother. This is The Brian Hyde Show.